Would you pray with me? Loving God, so often we come to you in a hurry. We go through scriptures, not um, too deeply, but in a rush. Help us take the time to listen to you. Help us pay attention as you speak to us once again. May we be challenged by your, by your word, that we may leave this place not as we came in, but as renewed people. And so it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let me begin by saying how difficult these last couple Sundays have been in terms of writing sermons. Um, talking, we're talking about a, a very complex uh, topic, which is forgiveness. Um, because when it comes to forgiveness, Jesus wants to challenge us. And every time I preach, I have to include myself there as well. I try to think of myself and being at the front row listening to this message. Jesus wants to challenge us to, to stretch our understanding of, of forgiveness because it is so important um, for who we are as Christians. It's so important. It's an important part of, like, of our identity. And we have to uh, uh, make it known, not just here at church, but throughout our lives. I can safely say that my marriage would not have lasted too much if it were not for forgiveness. Right? Forgiveness is an important part of, of our relationship. And Michelle, Michelle and I, we try really hard to be uh, open with each other and express how we feel. And if we have any, uh, if we've made mistakes or if we've misspoken, we try to listen attentively to each other so that we can make those corrections. Um, but one of the interesting things for us as parents is to do the same with Michaela. Uh, we have a 10-year-old daughter, and uh, sometimes, uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes we make parenting mistakes. And in the way that I know, since I became a dad, it just kind of feels like everybody's doing it right but me. Do you ever get that sense when you're parenting? Everybody knows how to do this except me. And so we make mistakes, but one of the practices that we've decided that we are going to commit to is to ask for forgiveness from Michaela when, when it's necessary. Not just from each other as adults, but to go to my daughter and say, listen, Michaela, I said this, I did this, I want to know that it was wrong, and I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Because that gives her an opportunity to participate in that as well. We want to acknowledge her humanity and just the importance of, her importance as a member of our family. And so taking this time to do this, not just with the grown-ups, but with our kids, I feel like that's a skill that needs to be practiced. Now, I'm not going to pretend that I got this whole forgiveness, things, uh, forgiveness thing nailed down, but I practice. And when you ask for forgiveness, you open yourself up for someone to say no. You put yourself in a vulnerable position. 
And that is what Jesus is asking us to do. Okay? Not just in the asking of forgiveness, but in the participating of forgiveness. And that's, that can be such a difficult thing, to extend grace to each other. And to accept grace from other people. Now, the passage that we just read is an interesting one. It begins with Peter asking a question. He asked Jesus, If another church member sins against, against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Let me begin by saying that this itself is very generous. Seven times was generous in terms of forgiveness. Most teachers at the time would have said to forget to forgive three times. Three times is enough. If you don't forgive a person, if you forgive a person three times, they don't change, you're good. They don't get it. But Peter seemed he was feeling generous that day. And he said, How many times should I forgive my brother or sister? Seven times? But Jesus tells him, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, I've, I've read different versions, different translations of this passage, and some of them don't say 77 times. They say, they say 70 times seven times. Now, I became a pastor, or one of the reasons why I became a pastor specifically was, I don't want to do math. But this passage in particular is asking me to do math. So how many times? So I start counting. Seventy times seven. So I do the math. It's like, okay, so that's more. Four hundred and ninety times, right? Um, but the reality is, is that it doesn't even matter which one it is. If it's seventy-seven or four hundred and ninety times, that is not the point. If I looked at the number itself. I would be missing the point of the story, my friends. Because Jesus was not speaking literally about this. No, no, no. Jesus wants us to Jesus wanted to make a point about forgiveness. And when Jesus wants to make a point, he tells a story. He tells a parable. And he invites people to think so they can figure things out on their own. So we read the, the story, we read the parable. And I, I, I really do believe in my heart that what Jesus is doing is making a point about forgiveness, being a part of the, uh, of the kingdom of God. Forgiveness being something that is truly transformative for the individual. And we miss this out, we miss the point, if we read this in a literal way. If we're, if we're doing math when we read the scripture. So I want us to look at this, uh, at this passage and, and think of these stories as creative uh, ways that Jesus used uh, to make a point, to convey a message, all right? And so um, the first thing that, that it does is, um, as scripture does sometimes, is, is that it echoes something else. It reflects another story or another passage. Um, 
let's take that number, uh, number 77, right? Um, as I said before, some teachers of the time would have advocated for three times. That's it, like baseball. Three strikes, you're out. Um, the emphasis was retribution, not forgiveness. That was what seems fair to people. If someone's sinning against you, they have to change their ways, they have to make it up to you. But some modern scholars explain that the 77 number um, uh, reflects the, uh, the, uh, a passage in the, in the Old Testament, in Genesis 4, where it refers to a principle of vengeance. Okay, this is the passage in, in Genesis 4, 24. It says, if Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Now, most of us have heard the story of Cain and Abel, right? Are we familiar? All right. Um, after Cain kills his brother Abel, God punishes him. And by saying that he will struggle to... to um, uh, to provide for himself, he was struggling in life, and he will become a restless wanderer. But Cain goes to God, and even at that point when Cain sinned, even at that point where Cain did a horrible thing, God extends grace to him by saying, I will not leave you, I will protect you. If someone uh, takes your life, you will be avenged seven times. Now, Lamech was a descendant of Cain, and he said, well, Cain was avenged, will be avenged seven times, I will be avenged 77 times. But I want you to think of the principle behind this, as God extended uh, forgiveness, the idea was vengeance. Even in Genesis, we read this principle of vengeance and retribution. If they do something wrong, then I will do something worse because they will be. Some people don't understand this idea that eye for an eye, an eye for an eye, that's actually a step forward from what it used to be before. Where if someone took something from you, you would go crazy and get really uh, uh, um, violent perhaps or take way more than they took from you. But it begins, the story begins in Genesis with vengeance and violence and retribution. Seventy-seven times I will be avenged, says Lamech. The number was used to refer to extraordinary vengeance. But Jesus was turning that principle on its head. And now he was talking about extraordinary forgiveness. It's not seven times that you're called to forgive, but 77 times. Because the kingdom of God, or as Matthew calls it, the kingdom of heaven, is a reversal of the status quo. The first will be last, the last will be first. And people do not boast about being avenged, but rather make forgiveness a priority in their lives. There is a strength in forgiveness, Jesus seems to, seems to be saying, that is not found in revenge. 
There's a strength in forgiveness that builds and does not destroy. Because forgiveness is a creative force. Not a destructive force, but a creative force. And I like to think that the seven, the number seven is intentional. It echoes the number of days of creation. Did you notice that? How many days does it take God in Genesis to create the world? Seven times, or seven days. So we can see, as someone who was reading this at the time, they would have associated the number seven with creation and they would have thought of a creative process. And I do think that as you forgive 77 times, you are giving God an opportunity to create something new within you. Something new and exciting, something different. I don't know what that looks like, but I know that God has an opportunity to create something new in your heart through the process of forgiveness. Are you with me? The process of forgiveness is creative in your heart. It's transformational. And we have to give God that opportunity to create something. Now, just like things in Scripture echo other things, we got to understand that Jesus sometimes uses hyperbole for that purpose. Matthew um, has Jesus using hyperbole in his teaching. Sometimes something else we would miss if we read the scriptures literally. Hyperbole is what? Who knows what hyperbole is? It's an exaggeration. It's an outlandish statement um, that is made with the purpose of making a point. Let me give you an example. Does anybody know what a talent is? The story that we were reading talks about talents. How many talents? Was it 10,000 talents? Huh? What is the current exchange rate for talents? How many dollars is a talent? Because it also uses the word denarii. Have you heard this before? I just recently learned, and I'm a little embarrassed to <laughs> confesses that the word dinero in Spanish comes from the word denari. Yeah. Kind of fun, isn't it? Dinero. It's money. It's currency. So, a denari would be equivalent to the salary, uh, one day's worth of salary for a laborer. So if you're a laborer in the times of Jesus and you go to work for a whole day, you get one denarii. All right? Just so we have an idea. Now, 10,000 talents is supposed to be a shocking amount. Can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Oh, I think my battery's dying. If, if it does, I'll, I'll be louder. Um, oh. So, um, where was I? Yeah, 
10,000 talents is supposed to be a shocking amount. If, if the talents are gold rather than silver, the amount the servant owes may be more than the amount of money in circulation in any petty kingdom in, in Jesus' day. By comparison, Herod the Great's annual tax revenue was about 800 talents. This was about a hundred million denarii, as much as 70 or even a hundred million days, a hundred million days wages for a peasant. Do we have an extra microphone? Can you hear me? Oh, wow. Should have started off with this one. Um, let me repeat that then. As much as 70, uh, 100 uh, million denarii would be 70 or even 100 million days wages for a peasant. Indeed, perhaps the only reason this figure is not placed even higher is that the term here was the largest currency available. And 10,000 was the largest numerical designation in Greek. So when, so when we read 10,000 talents, we're talking about a gazillion in terms of money, right? You can even wrap your mind around this, this amount of money. This is how much this, slave's, uh, this slave owns the king. Now we're not told how, how this uh, slave got into this much debt with the king. My guess, student loans. That's just my guess. <laughs> but it doesn't say specifically how much, how, how did this happen. But it tells you how it's approached. Because when the, he comes to the king, he tells the king, you know what, I'm going to pay you back. Now we all know, or people at the time reading this story would say, that's impossible. He's making false promises because there's no way, there's no way in life he will get to pay this amount of money back to the king. Yet the king extends the grace and says, all right, I forgive you. And he releases him. Now, so the story goes that he, this slave, after he was forgiven, encounters another slave who owes him a hundred denarii, right? This is, as we said, a hundred uh, days salary for, uh, for a laborer at the time. Now, not an insignificant amount, right? But way smaller than the 10,000 talents that he owed the king. What does this person do? Grabs the slave by the neck, shakes him up. He gets violent with him and tells him, pay me what you owe me. We understand the lesson in this, in this story, in this parable, that grace is extended to this first slave, but he, for something that's, something that, that he can't even begin to repay in his lifetime, but he is unable to extend grace to someone else who owes him a more reasonable amount. He's being unfair. 
Now, someone in our study group brought, the, brought up the fact that we pray about this every week. Here at church, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say, forgive us our trespasses. What? We, you know this, right? We should know this. As we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, if I were in Mexico praying this prayer in Spanish, I would say, forgive us our debts as, though, as we forgive those uh, as we forgive our debtors. So when I read this passage, I understand that the first commitment is a challenge to look within myself, to look at my own actions and how I extend forgiveness to other people. Even as I'm asking for forgiveness, I am reminded of the fact that I have to look within myself and how I practice forgiveness with others. For how can I ask for something that I'm not willing to give myself? Are you with me? How can I ask for forgiveness? How can I approach God asking for something when I'm not able or willing to extend it to other people? Jesus wants us to demonstrate God's extraordinary forgiveness which is extended to all of us. This is God's nature. God is open to forgive so much, but the challenge is for us to forgive as well. So we are called to freely give what we have freely received. I remember <laughs> I don't know if you have this saying in, in here in the United States, but I remember growing up with uh, with this in mind, where someone would say, "No, no, no, I forgive you." Te perdono, pero no olvido. Have you heard this? I forgive, but I don't forget. I forgive, but I don't forget. And it's just uh, we have a great memory. We have great memory when someone is. Uh, um, has done something wrong with us. But forgiveness is counterintuitive. It's relational. We can't be um, uh, we're called to make this part of our walk with Christ. Now Another reminder from this morning that I always try to be very careful when I preach about forgiveness is, yes, we are called to forgive, but that forgiveness should never be used as an excuse to put ourselves in a toxic, harmful situation. Can you say amen? amen. Sometimes it's okay to forgive from a distance. Sometimes it's okay to have, or it's, I would say always, we should aim to have healthy boundaries with people. Yes, we forgive. But forgiveness does something within our hearts that makes a difference. Forgiveness is not necessarily about the other person, but about our relationship with God. So in conclusion, friends, forgiveness is not merely a numerical exercise. It's not math that we do. It's not, it's not transactional. 
If you do this or that, I will forgive you. That's not what we're reading in this scripture. It is a divine principle that calls us to emulate the extraordinary forgiveness of our loving Creator. Whether it's seven times, 77 times, or, or just something that beyond our counting, the essence remains the same. We are called to forgive generously, extravagantly. I like the way you expressed it in our, in our reading today. That was good. Yeah. It goes beyond just what we can express. Just as we have received boundless forgiveness from God. So as we leave this place, may we carry with us the transformative power of forgiveness, knowing that it not only mends broken relationships, but it shapes us. It shapes us into instruments of God's grace and reconciliation in a world that is yearning for healing. Our world needs healing. Are we willing to be part of the healing process in our world today? If we are, we must let the Holy Spirit guide us in this journey and make it an integral part of our walk with Christ. My prayer, friends, for you and for me is that our lives may become a testament to the incredible strength and beauty and forgiveness. The challenge is then, can we give God an opportunity to create something new within us? through forgiveness, through reconciliation today. Let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for your love, which is unconditional. Sometimes we, we want to have conditions. We place little asterisks <laughs> next to our, our love or our forgiveness. But you are challenging us today to think of forgiveness not as something that's um, transactional, but as something that's part of our relationship with you. Help us um, understand this principle. Help us be challenged for it, by it. If it makes us uncomfortable, let it be so. Let us prayerfully approach it, trusting that you will guide us and move us, get closer to what you're calling us to be, to the church that you need us to be at this time. Help us give freely what we have freely received. Help us understand that we we get to experience forgiveness from you. And if we want to be reflections of your love, then we are called to be comfortable with forgiveness. Help us be the church. Help us be the people that you're calling us to be at this time.
And so it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.